So uh, let's get right after it. So tonight what we're going to talk about is uh, confirmation bias. Confirmation bias. Now, you've heard us talk about this before. Uh, Chris Mulling brought it up a, a couple of weeks ago over there in the live chat. And uh, and by the way, I would love for you, uh, if you're on here watching live on Facebook, to uh, chat with us tonight, as always. But he brought up that topic, uh, confirmation bias, in response to something that we were talking about uh, last week. And so it's an interesting topic. Seems to keep coming up. And so I wanted to put a little bit of meat on those bones this evening. So uh, today I went to a, a great resource online to get a great definition of confirmation bias. I went to the Encyclopedia Britannica. Now, if you're over 40 years old, you know that that is the authoritative source on anything that you would like to know about. You know, uh, if you didn't have Britannica money, you might have like World Book Encyclopedia money. And if you were really, uh, you know, uh, economically challenged, uh, you would have maybe Funk and Wagnalls. And if you just didn't care at all, you had nothing. But uh, it was like the Internet of the day when I was a child. And uh, we certainly did not have encyclopedias in our house but they were at the school library. So I went to Encyclopedia Britannica and I looked up confirmation bias. So I'm going to read a little bit to you here and then we're going to talk about this this evening. So what is confirmation bias? It is really exactly what it sounds like. It's a thinking error. Okay. So maybe some more common thinking errors that you hear from people is things like minimizing, excusing, blaming their behavior, uh, it, it's that type of uh, uh, thinking. All right. So confirmation bias, what is it? It's the tendency to process information by looking for or interpreting information that is consistent with one's existing beliefs. People are especially likely to process information to support their own beliefs when the issue is highly important or self-relevant. -rele so when people talk about um, this idea that you really shouldn't talk about the things that we talk about here on Small Talk, namely religion and politics. One of the reasons why those are such hot topic issues is because they really tap into what people believe. Uh, we talked about on our first episode that cognitive iceberg and, and at the bottom of it is our beliefs. And those beliefs shape the way we think and feel in a situation which dictates our behavior. So this is really getting down to our core beliefs. All right. So uh, confirmation bias is one example of how humans sometimes process information in an illogical, biased manner. And it says this is how humans process information. It's not how liberals do it. It's not how Democrats do it. It's not how conservatives or Republicans do it. That's how human beings do it. Many factors of which people are unaware can influence information processing. Philosophers note that humans have difficulty processing information in a rational, unbiased manner once they have developed an opinion about an issue. One explanation for why humans are susceptible to confirmation bias is that it is an efficient way to process information because as human beings, we're getting bombarded with information constantly, especially we live in an information age. We're constantly bombarded with information. And so since that's the case, people need to be able to process information quickly. And, um, and I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, how we are actually as human beings more likely to look for the negative than the positive. 
And the reason being is evolutionary biology. You have to look for the things that are negative, the things that could potentially be harmful because those things will kill you. And so in order for the species to even survive and propagate and flourish, you have to look out for things that will kill you. And so we're already pre-programmed to look for the things that could cause us harm. It's an adaptive, um, uh, it is adaptive to rely on instinctive automatic reflexes that keep humans out of harm's way. Another reason, reason people show confirmation bias is to protect their self-esteem. People like to feel good about themselves and discovering that a belief that they highly value is incorrect makes people feel bad about themselves. Therefore, people will seek information that supports their existing beliefs. This is why church shopping is, um, it's this adventure that you go on where you try to find the church that already believes everything that you believe. Uh, it's probably less about how charismatic the pastor is or was, was, was the music on point? Was it too slow? They sing too many hymns that they... You know, was the music too fast for it? No, it's really about the, hey, did they actually say the things that I believe? Because that's where I want to be is the place that I believe. I don't want to be challenged when I'm in church on Sunday. Why, why would I want that to be the case? Another motive is accuracy. People want to feel that they are intelligent. And information that suggests one holds an inaccurate belief or made a poor decision suggests one is lacking intelligence. Who wants to be stupid? Not me, not you, not anyone. It is not that people are incapable of generating arguments that are counter to their beliefs, but rather people are not motivated to do so. You know, one of the things that keeps people from actually making significant changes that they need to make in their lives, they go through this process. Reggie and I, we travel all over the country and we train people in this process of change. It starts, it's a cycle. It starts off with what we call pre-contemplation. That's where someone's just unwilling to change, either because they just don't want to or they just don't even realize that they have a problem. And so, and, and then they might sort of get into this ambivalent stage where, yeah, they see that they might have a problem, but they're unwilling to change. And then the next stage is, is like determination or something about preparation. Like I'm really preparing myself to change because I realize, yes, I've got a problem. I need to change. And what keeps people sometimes from even getting to that point or acknowledging it is that to say, hey, my drinking is a problem is an admission of being wrong for all these years where I've said it's not. And that can really hinder people. No, no one wants to be wrong. No one wants to be wrong. Confirmation bias is, imp is important because it may lead people to hold strongly to false beliefs or to give more weight to information that supports their belief than is warranted by the evidence. People may be overconfident in their beliefs because they have accumulated evidence to support them. When in reality, much evidence refuting their beliefs was overlooked or ignored. Evidence which, if considered, would lead to less confidence in one's beliefs. These factors may lead to risky decision making and lead people to overlook warning signs and other important information. Confirmation bias has important implications in the real world, including medicine, 
law and interpersonal relationships. Let's just take the first one really quick, medicine. We might even be watching some of that right now with this COVID-19 thing. Someone says hydroxychloroquine works. Someone else says it doesn't. And they don't want to hear any evidence one way or the other that supports, uh, uh, you know, the opposite viewpoint. Um, in law, sometimes a, a jury might just come up with their own opinion about someone early in a trial, and it might be hard for them to uh, remain objective for the for the rest of that uh, for the rest of that trial. And of course, in interpersonal relationships as well. If uh, if I want to introduce someone to Chris or to Reggie or to my wife, those are our, uh, that's our panel tonight, Chris, Reggie, and my wife. If I want to introduce someone to them, I, I, don't, I don't even want to tell someone, hey, here's what you can expect out of Reggie. Hey, here's what you can expect from Chris. Here's what you can expect from my wife. Because if I do that, when they meet, they're going to be looking for those things instead of just coming into that situation with an open mind to formulate their own viewpoint about that person. I just like to leave people uh, to, to figure things out for themselves. Why? Because I realize that my opinions are, they have to be loaded with arrogance, uh, with, with, with some sort of uh, ignorance, maybe some bias of some sorts. And I don't want to uh, push that onto someone else. And so, uh, we're going to bring in our panel right now. We're going to talk about this a little bit more. and We're going to figure out who, uh, what, what bias that uh, our panel has tonight. First of all, let me bring in uh, Chris into, uh, into our view here. There's Chris Mulling. He was with us last week. Uh, Chris is a pilot. He uh, grows, he grows uh, oranges. Oranges, right, Chris? That's correct. He's a DJ. He runs marathons and 5k races he coordinates those and he is a motivational speaker and you got 25 job man you've got yeah, like man. tons yeah. of stuff going on and aside from that he's pretty flat for a white guy a bald white guy there he is and uh and then everyone's favorite i was told at walmart today reggie by someone did you get that text i sent you yeah i did I all right good yeah so uh, i was told walking into walmart by a friend today uh, hey man, I really like that podcast you got on. I really like your friend. I said, Reggie? He's like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really like Reggie a lot. And I'm like, I appreciate that, Tom. I appreciate it. And then uh, of course we have Mrs. Schmalltalk herself coming to us live from our daughter's room. Look at that. That looks like a teenage girl's room right there. It is cute. I like it. I like it. I put a lot of effort into that room. All right. So I want to tell you guys, I think that part of um, overcoming our con confirmation bias is to be able to, first of all, just recognize it. So I was trying to think about, uh, you know, some some bias maybe that that, uh, that I have, some things that I've really sort of realized in the last few weeks. I, mean, I mentioned on our last podcast that 60% uh, of Democrats believe that Trump is at fault for the virus and not China. Now, when I hear that, that really supports some bias that I have about Democrats right now, at least right now uh, in our country. And I really probably less about Democrats and I would say more about far left Democrats. 
Um, I, uh, I've been watching the news and see these stories about the climate. I mentioned this last time too. Yesterday was Earth Day. And uh, I mentioned how the climate has recovered very, very quickly since we're not all out there running our trucks up and down a road, uh, the road that our, our F-150s, we're an F-150 bunch right here. Um, and so the, the climate's recovering really quickly, right? So that's the story. So I'm hearing from the left, hey, this supports why we need to not be driving our F-150s. Whereas what I'm hearing is, you know what? We're obviously not killing the planet because it only takes like a month and this thing is, is pristine again. And what it reminds me of is when you see a football, um, you're watching a football game and the ref throws a flag and we all watch the instant replay. As a Buckeye fan, I can guarantee you I'm going to see it one way, especially if they're playing Michigan. And then the Michigan fan, bless their hearts, they're going to see it a completely different way and we're looking at the same play. You know, and another one I was thinking about too because I work with teenagers and uh, teenagers that have – a lot of brokenness, uh, a lot of family struggle. It's it's often that I hear people say, well, yeah, no wonder the kid acts up. Look at the parents. Just look at the parents. And uh, yeah, it really frustrates me. I don't, I don't really go along with that too well because I know a lot of uh, parents that are just amazing fo folks that are, are struggling. And so uh, I don't know. So these are some of the, this is just sort of the, the low hanging fruit that I have uh, that, that comes up, you know, and, and certainly if I ask people in this, they're listening right now, just to think about how would you finish this statement? All politicians are, what would you say? Right. Or all lawyers are, Right. So some things come to your mind. You have bias. And as soon as you hear something that confirms that you just you just soak that up. And you have a tendency to ignore all evidence to the contrary. Reggie, you know something about thinking errors. What do you what do you think about all this? Is uh, is this making sense, man? Do you think do you think this is something that uh, human beings just as a matter of being human, that, that we suffer from this? confirmation bias is that does it seem normal to you that we would do this yeah absolutely i mean why wouldn't we we tend to believe in and favor the things that validate the stuff that we hold dear right i mean we living in a time now where we have some of the most insidious and destructive devices that feed into confirmation bias and that's the internet and not just the internet but social media in particular i mean start to think about facebook if you go on Facebook and you log in, but then you search certain things based on like your interests, what does Facebook do? But what, what happens when you go back to Facebook? There's ads that fit that. You're going to start receiving like little things in your feed that play along with maybe some of your political leanings and ideation. And even in, in on Twitter, the same thing happens. So when it feeds the idea, it confirms all of those things that you already hold dear. So of course, if you go out, it'd be impossible for you to step away from that, like to, to break away and do something different because you're only getting one source of information. And if you see anything contrary, you just avoid looking at it because obviously that can't be true, right? Because it doesn't fit in. So I think it's just human nature. 
You know, one of the things that really stood out to me was that we have a tendency to do this as a way of thinking in an efficient manner because we get bombarded by so much information and we want to process it quickly. So what do we process it uh, against? Well, we process it against our own attitudes and beliefs, our, which create our expectations. And, um, and, and if it doesn't meet our expectations, then we're likely just to, to toss it aside. And so you think about all the choices out there in media. There's a ton of choices in media. There's a lot of information that's coming our way. And, uh, you know, it's, it's easy, I guess, to just really flip on every single day the channel that spouts off everything that you believe. And what's interesting to me is how I hear so many people say, oh, well, you're, you just get your information from Fox News. That's it. Uh, excuse me. Do you think you're in any better position just getting your news from CNN or just getting your news from MSNBC? I mean, how does that line up with what I've been talking about tonight already? How is it that you escape the realities of cognitive functioning? You escape it and you are, you're just, you're, you're getting every side of it because you're watching MSN. No, you're not. You're absolutely not. You're in no better position than the person just watching Fox. But the problem, George, is, um, the person that watches like you and myself, all three of those, um, I watch CNN, I watch MSNBC and I watch Fox. And I do so with that exact confirmation bias that you're talking about. When I watch Rachel Maddow, I watch it with the expectation that what she says is BS, that everything she does is sensationalism. When I tune into CNN, my expectation is that whatever they say is going to be designed specifically around a negative on President Trump. Now, they seldom disappoint, but is that because that's how I see it through the lens that I've already predicted, or are they putting it out there the way that I think they're going to say it? Um, then I go to Fox, and I get what I predictably expect. I predictably expect to get what I call a fair and balanced view to, to more of a degree, maybe not 100%, but more of a degree than I feel like I do on the other panels, uh, on the other networks. So... Part of what you said, the first the first step in the right direction is acknowledging the simple fact that I have that bias, right? If I want to be effective, if I want to be a critical thinker, I have to acknowledge the fact that I have confirmation bias. And I think that's the biggest, biggest failure of most people is the fact that they don't acknowledge that they even have it. So even you and I can say, well, I watch all three networks, so I get a balanced thing, but that doesn't really change our confirmation as to that we think CNN and MSNBC is fake news, and we tend to believe that Fox is going to give us a straighter story. So I think um, we, may, we may find ourselves in a position where we're trying to open our, our, our spectrum uh, to accept those things, but it would be a failure on our part to, to not acknowledge the fact that I, I still watch them with a, through a lens that places them on one side of my expectation and the other one on the other. Yeah, and this may not even be a good example. It is. Uh, then why'd you bring it up? Yeah, it's no, it really truly is. It's it, what? It's a perfect example. At least I think so. Because well, yeah, it's a, it's an easy one for us all to understand. But I guess what I'm saying, maybe it's not a, 
you go into that like really knowing what you're going to get, right? And so sometimes situations come up where it's not that blatant. It's probably the more subtle instances where maybe someone has just put a bug in your ear about about Reggie. And so you already come to meet Reggie with uh, some sort of preconceived notion about him. And then you get there, you meet him, you start talking to him, and now you're looking for that. Like that's much more subtle than knowing the difference between Rachel Maddow and uh, Sean Hannity, let's just say. But yeah, it's a, it's still it's still a good example. But, but listen, but these fools like Rachel Maddow, I mean, that fool right there, I mean, she just confirms this nonsense all the time. I mean, it's just like a couple of weeks ago, Reggie, she says, uh, yeah, Trump says he's going to send the mercy, the ship, right, into New York Harbor, and it's going to be there next week or something like that. And uh, there's no way that's going to happen, folks. He's lying to you. It, it's not going to be there for like three weeks. Well, hey, it was like four or five days later. Here she comes right into port. You think Rachel Maddow went on the show that night, went on air, and was like, hey, guys, kind of got that wrong. Well, here's, no, absolutely. Well, what you're speaking to is an example of that, right? You, you, that's one thing that she may have said, that she did say that was really wrong and inaccurate about it. So you'll take that bit of information from her, even though she's normally not a source of information from her, and you'll use that to confirm that all people are blank, right? So that, that's why I think it's a great example. I, don't, I just don't think it's as covert as you would imagine in the sense of, we, you know, I can concede that information overload may lead to this, but the perpetuation of it, the continuation of it is, it feeds our ego. Right. I mean, like it, it makes us feel it's gratifying when we can find things to confirm and acknowledge how you talk about this. It, it leads to a sense of overconfidence, like a, a false belief, more likely. So I, even with all that, I ain't tripping about you having that. It, it's when it manifests itself into behavior. And that I think confirmation bias kind of transitions into self-fulfilling prophecies where you go in and you create situations and circumstances to elicit that bias you already have. And then it sticks, right? So now you, you've created a, a lab experiment to confirm the biases you hold. That's when it's a real problem. And I think that happens more times than we want to admit. Yeah, and I, think, that- I think, let me interject. I think Reggie's hit that right on the head. I mean, right on the nose. Um, we tend to take a lot of bias and that, that bias, prejudice, whatever you want to categorize it we tend to create like you said experiments to to manufacture the result that we want and and so we tend to as humans um you know we we seek out we construct situations by by doing this and the left the left has done a fantastic job i mean uh, daniel kahneman um he's a uh, a clinical psychologist and, and a nobel prize winner but he said a reliable way to make people believe falsehoods it's frequent repetition mm. because familiarity is not easily distinguished from truth. Wow. And so CNN, MSNBC, Fox News, if you will, and every liberal Democrat that I know has, has taken that structure and just driven it. They, they say it over and over and over and over and over and over till they make it become true. And then, or at least the people believe it's true. They believe it because they've heard it so many times. How can it be false? So that's what they've learned. They've learned to drive the narrative um, to to create a confirmation bias in people 
strictly through repetition. That's why you see them. Uh, I saw I saw somebody. It, it's like they all get an email in the morning and said, "Here's the talking point for the day." And you know, you've seen these collages where they show 16 different people, and they all use the same term that yesterday nobody was using, and all of a sudden this morning, every single one. And that's what they do. I think they're 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 structurally unified, and and they and they try to push that same narrative over and over repetitively to get the average layperson to just assume that it must be true. Yeah. All right, Rebecca, I want to get, I want to get you in here, but let me just say Reggie that when we set up those experiments and they don't go our way, then another type of bias comes in and that's called self-serving bias. Yeah. And that's where we start to make excuses for about why it didn't happen the way we wanted it to happen. Right. And so, Reggie, you and I have talked about this. I, I told you, uh, and I think you appreciate this point. You said you were going to bring it up to some of your training classes. I told you how it's very ironic that those of us that work with uh, juveniles, uh, delinquents, pre-delinquents, whatever, uh, when they go through our programs and they do a great job we're, after they leave, uh, we're really quick to say, oh, what a great job we did with them, man. You know, we, we really provided this service, that service. Those. They did a great job. And we're, like, we're patting ourselves on the back for the great job that we did with that child. Mm -hmm. We take credit for it. But no one's taking credit when a kid leaves our program and then ends up in jail. Yeah, go do Because that. at that point, yeah. now we, we, we ascribe to ourselves all the positive that we did. We did everything we could. Yes, man, it just wouldn't listen, man. We did all we could. Man, we did this and we did that. Look, if you've ever said, after all I have done for you, hmm. and then you went and did that. See, we don't want to take credit when the experiment, as you say, Reggie, doesn't go hmm. our way. A kid gets a bad grade. It, well, it had to be the teacher. The teacher didn't cover the information. Kid gets a good grade. Oh, yeah, man, I did a great job on that. No. I did a great job. They're not saying, hey, man. Kudos to that teacher for me getting that A because that teacher really did a great job getting me prepared for that. Yeah. Rebecca, what do you think about all this craziness? Yeah, I mean, I just think that we go into things uh, wanting to confirm what we already believe, like you guys said. I just think, um, and and I think even coming from the scientific um, aspect of it, it's concerning when people go in and start to do um, uh, research and all of those other things and they so they have their hypothesis and really what they want to do is 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 show that their hypothesis is true and that's that's concerning because then you know are they are they really doing a true test are they really um, picking the right people are they really balancing it out with a control group so um, or are they really just trying to make that uh, research project look really good on their side so that they can confirm that their hypothesis or their new idea or whatever it is that they're going to try to sell next is, is actually going to work. Yeah. Hey, George, let me, uh, if you'll indulge me for a minute, can I do a simple test with you? Sure. Okay. So, um, do you know who Peter Calvert Wasson is? No. Okay, he's the guy that coined the phrase, uh, um, confirmation bias. He's a psychologist, a cognitive psychologist. And, um, and Peter developed several tests. He had three basic tests that he developed because his theory was that people were not logical. People were not rational based on logic. Um, and confirmation bias was, was proof of this. So he developed a few cognitive tests that he did. And, and the simplest one is one I'd like to, to do with you right now. And so I'm going to give you a, a, a series of three numbers. 
And then I want you to determine what the rule is that I have, how those numbers apply. So you can tell me what the next number might be, or you can give me another set of numbers, or you can even ask me what the rule might, you know, what you think the rule is, and I'll confirm whether yes, that's the rule, or no, that's not the rule. So, so I'm going to tell you um, whether that breaks my rule or or fits into my rule. And your job is to try to determine what my rule is. So, so my number series is: Are you ready? Yes. Okay. Two, four, eight. So, okay. what is my rule? Well, you're you're doubling each number. No, that is not my rule. So now you can use examples. You can give me a series of numbers. There's three numbers, and I'll tell you if they fit into my rule if you'd like. Okay, so is, is your rule that you are um, multiplying the first two numbers to get to the third number? No. Okay. Give me a so, set of numbers. Okay, so uh, 3, 4, 12. That, that fits my rule. Hmm. Okay. Um, uh, two five ten. That fits my rule. Okay. So are you going low to high? Mm. You're starting out low, and every number has to be high. How about how about five two ten? That does not follow my rule. Okay. Mm. So going with what Rebecca's saying. Sorry. No, so uh, Tanya says two goes into each. That's not it, right? Because three, no. three, four, twelve. No. Uh, four, four, three, twelve? Four, three, twelve does not follow my rule. Okay, so I'm going to go with what Rebecca said. The two numbers have to multiply. The first two have to multiply to get to the third, but the lower has to come first. That is not my rule. Well, no, you right, started I'm, I'm out cogn with a I'm cognitively impaired. You started out with a lower number and then went higher and higher. Correct. So that, in fact, Rebecca, who was not supposed to talk. Oh, I'm way. sorry. Okay, this was I haven't for talked hardly at all this whole time. I've been so quiet. No, but the idea is that's exactly my rule. My rule is nothing more than <laughs> the, numbers, the numbers have to ascend. So I'm reading way too much into it. Right. And, and what we try to do is we try to take something simple like two, four, six, eight, you know, it's add two each time, two, four, eight, uh, multiply it times two. That's the simplest. And we confirm that what we tend not to do. Um, and you did kind of, you did much better than most people. Um, but what the tendency is, is to fail to try systems that don't make sense because you get more information out of that. I forget what your third guess was, but it was an arbitrary, some arbitrary number. But it still was in ascending order, but it was arbitrary. It had no mathematical calculation. And so when I said, yep, that follows my rule, well, that blew you out of the water. Like, well, then how can that follow? You just smiled and sat back because you weren't sure. Okay, well, then there's no mathematical simple, you know, solution to this because 2513 doesn't work or whatever it was. Right? Well, so, I said two five, I said two five ten. Uh, we'll, you did another one there. We'll, we'll, we'll discuss. We'll have listening as a topic next yeah. time, Chris. <laughs> so part I'm of the, part of this whole uh, confirmation bias can also play into memory in a concept called selective recall. There you and go. So we remember the things that we are already, um, you know, kind of biased to believing 
or want to hear. And so that's very interesting part of this whole concept is we will remember, we will selectively remember the things that we already want to remember, we're interested in remembering. It's funny because when um, we talk about kids um, having reading comprehension issues, um, a lot of times I'm like, well, yeah, they're reading stuff they don't care about. So they're not gonna comprehend half of it because either a maybe part of it is vocabulary part of it might be that they just don't have background knowledge to be able to connect to and then three is that doesn't even mean anything to them they don't care about that topic and so kids generate a lot of kids will do worse if they're reading um informational text than they will like a like a story a literature story a literacy-based story because it's informational and that's just not as fun to look to listen to or to hear or to read Sorry, that's my little nerdy snippet for you. That's good. We know who has the brains in this family. <laughs> that's why that's, she got it right. That's why I didn't want her answering. I knew sorry, that's the right I'm sorry. I was so quiet for so long. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let me, if I, I'm allowed to interject, um, I, I just I don't want to make it seem like such a tacit thing, though. You know, it's like, it, this is an active process of confirmation mm -hmm. bias. It's like this idea of implicit bias. You know, I'm sure you've heard that term before. Mm -hmm. I think that's a cop out. Right, and they're like, I'm not even aware that this is going on. We are fully aware that we feed our egos. We are fully aware that we validate ourselves and 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 like you said, George, make ourselves seem intelligent. Right? Well, it's a choice. If you really want to go down that road, look at where it's leading you. Like, if you hold these biases and you confirm them on a regular basis, well, how is that manifesting itself into behavior? And if that behavior is hurtful and harmful to yourself or others, then if you want to do something different, you got to think something different. It goes back to what we teach, George. It's cognitive restructuring. It is basis form. I have to recognize the risk in my thinking. And I don't think that as a country, on any side of the spectrum, we take time to do that. Because for as grand and, and highbrow as we liberals want to be, uh, a lot of times our thinking can lead to be hurtful and harmful to other people. But we feel sanctimonious and we go around confirming that you know our beliefs and values are the higher ground without taking into perspective the the end result the like the the final outcome of what we've done the only way it's going to change is for people to do like you said challenge themselves yeah and i reggie i don't think that it's enough just to challenge yourself i think you need to be open to um people challenging you because because yeah. what you're talking about is a process that you and I and, and our colleagues call cognitive self change. Yep. Right. And so that's the process of, um, of of paying attention to what you're thinking. Recognize if there's any risk of those thoughts that might get you into trouble or, or have some undesired outcome one way or the other. Let's say to do something that's not helpful. Yeah. Let's, let's frame it up that way. So I recognize what I'm thinking. I recognize that maybe that could lead me to do something that's unhelpful. And then I actively choose to change that thinking. And it's not even that I necessarily think positive thoughts. Mm. It's just that I think some new thinking. That would lead to a different outcome. That leads to a different outcome. So let me just break that down really, really, really quickly. I always thought it was interesting we call that self-change because I don't think that you just do that by yourself. Mm. Um, yeah, it's up to you to say, okay, yeah, this is what I was thinking. I acknowledge that myself that that's what I was thinking. I acknowledge that that could lead me to do some behavior that's not helpful. And 
I choose to change it. It's, it's self-change in that regard. But more often than not, someone comes alongside of you and challenges some of your irrational thinking mm-hmm. and causes you to do some reflection. Yeah. And I, you, have to be, you have to be open to do that, right? I, I went golfing with a friend today, and he was asking me about the podcast, and, and I, was, I was telling him about the folks that are on here, and I was, I was talking, and I, was, I said, you know, you look on that the other night. You had Teresa, Chris, and Reggie. I said, those – are three people that will give me the unvarnished truth. And, and, and I'll take it from them. And it may not even sound nice. It may not be nice, but they'll give it to me. But when they do that, I, I'll listen. That's for sure. And, um, and, and certainly at this point uh, in life and marriage, you know, Rebecca's opinion actually means more than the three that was on there the other night for, for various reasons. I mean, there's the practical reality that we live together, yeah. but obviously, um, you know, we're, we're married. That's, that's, that's my wife. Like she knows me better than anyone yeah. aside from myself. Uh, so it really just takes an openness and being able to, to hear from other people. It's one of the reasons why, and we're not willing to do that so often. It's one of the reasons why, no one takes anyone's advice because they're not actually looking for advice. They're just looking to for you to say something that confirms their bias about what they think they should do anyway. Mm-hmm. And when you don't give them that, then they say, hmm, they might even challenge you a little bit yeah. and then move on. And they're going to do their own thing. Or they're in the meantime, they're going to fo- get out uh, their phone and start scrolling down through there searching names, looking for the one jacked up friend they think will agree with them. Oh, girl, you know you should do this and that. Oh, yeah, you should drop him. You should do. And then that's what they're going to go with. Mm -hmm. That's how it happens. Yeah. And I I know I don't want to seem noble. It ain't like I do it all the time. I I search out things that confirm some of my biases. But the idea is, like Chris said, you got to recognize that you have them. Like I I, I teach a lot of... um, cultural diversity classes. I don't even know what to call them really, but that, that that's what people request. And I go in with this idea of teaching things, but I don't go in blaming people and calling folks racist. Like uh, it's easy to walk through the door and say, you know, you white people or you Asian people, whatever. I, I just go in and say, we all got biases. Like everybody has them. And until we can be as honest with ourselves to recognize that it's human nature to have them, but it's also our job to to kind of heal ourselves from that as we move forward. Then it, it's really kind of a moot point. So we we talk about a lot of different things, but it's really about self reflection and your choice to do something different. Because now you know you're doing it right, and that's another thing in cognitive self change. When we ask you to generate the new thinking, we don't tell you to act on it. We just want you to learn the skill of coming up with the new thinking. So if you can do that then you know you're making a conscious choice. Like you willfully going down that hurtful path if that's the, the lane you choose. Or you can make a conscious choice to go down a positive path. My I, friend, oh, sorry, go ahead, Reggie. Go ahead. My friend Catherine just posted uh, on my page, thoughts dictate feelings, which dictate behaviors. So always target those thoughts first and not focus on the behavior or it's never going to change. That's why CBT is so, effect- so effective across domains. She's Ab- a psychologist. And that, like. <laughs> so I use the tea to, to do the diversity training. I'm not kidding you. We'll yeah. do the thing where we set a mm-hmm. safe space 
for people to be able to engage and have a dialogue and, you know, they, they can be a little more open. But even with that, I don't, you ain't got to put your business in the street. I don't need you to tell me that you're a Klan member. I just need you to recognize that you are a Klan member and that might be hurtful to someone. And here's some skills. And I'm not kidding you. We do this now in school systems where we teach people the cognitive restructuring techniques, like how mm -hmm. to generate new thinking. And Absolutely. in the schools we've been in, and I'm talking about professional development, it's been groundbreaking. Like just today, we had a meeting where they talked about how our organization led to uh, a, a groundbreaking cultural change within there. And we ain't do nothing but get them to do CBT. I'm not kidding you. That's all we did was set a safe space for people to dialogue, to be honest with themselves, and maybe find a clique that you can kind of share your values with. But then come up with some new ways of thinking to offset stuff that might lead to some, some discriminatory decisions or some hurtful actions toward people that don't look and sound like you. Ain't that crazy? Yeah, I mean, I think it's really, really hard to go into uh, any kind of situation that challenges your own viewpoints mm -hmm. and say that you're going to go in there objective, you know, totally objectively, because you're really not. You're going to carry in all of that bias with you. And so that's just tough. It's interesting to think of, like, and I think a group of people that actually do this probably fairly well, or at least like show that they do is um, lawyers, as much as we were joking around about them earlier. Um, but my first degree was in criminology, and so I had to take some law classes. And I remember um, being in a law class where actually they would find out what our viewpoint was on something, and then we'd have to argue the opposite. Mm. And so to go in with a certain set of ideas, and I remember the one that was the hardest for me personally was abortion. Um, so I had to go in as a, you know, I am pro-life um, and I had to go in and argue pro-choice. And that was tough for me because I had to really, really listen to what are other people saying? What is the other side of this? And not just in a, like a, I'm going to go in and just be snarky about it, but really I've got to argue a point that I don't necessarily agree with. Mm -hmm. And I've got to kind of push aside some of the things that I really do believe in, yeah. in order to be able to argue that side well. Yeah. Notice I didn't become an a lawyer or an attorney. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like, uh, it makes me think that um, if if you're going to come tell me that Trump uh, has blood on his hands and he's a murderer, okay, I want to listen to you, but I want to listen to you after you tell me one good thing about Trump. Oh. Just tell me one good thing about Trump. That's and if you challenge me and you say, well, you say one good thing about Obama, the last guy, right? Okay, that that is that is not a problem, right? I'll, I'll give you some stuff I really like. What's that? I said say one good thing. I'm joking. Yeah, <laughs> no, I'll I'll say a few good things. All right, I'll, here here's some real low hanging fruit. I think he was a good father. Yeah, I think he cared about fatherhood, which yeah. is one of my values. I think he really cared about fatherhood. I think he really, in particular, cared about fatherhood in the black community. He really did. And uh, any any he, he actually he could sing pretty good too. Actually, I, I like it when he sang uh, "Amazing Grace." By the way, I thought that was uh, fantastic. I mean, I was I was loving. It. I want to go into the next playlist. I want to see his play. I, I hope he'd go to his eyes on the sparrow next or something. I thought he did a good job. <laughs> so I think he I think he re he spoke relatively well. I, I I could go on and on. Yeah, and yeah. the thing is though the fact that you and I've talked about this before. I as a liberal. I, I can't 
listen to my own people if they can't find one good thing that Trump has done, right? Because that means you are rooted in your confirmation bias. You will find anything you can to fuel that belief and value that you have. And you won't allow any new information in to create any kind of dissonance around that. Well, then that's not healthy. That's unhealthy for you. It's not healthy for this country. It's not healthy for anybody. It sure ain't healthy for me. Because if I end up on the bad side of you, which you stay rooted in your confirmation biases, then that means you I'll never get a chance to be redeemed. I, I, don't, I don't have space for forgiveness with you because you're not going to be open-minded enough to let new data conflict with that old data that you hold so dear, right? So that, that's why I get into arguments with, with my own people, as I call them, as, as much as I do. And I kind of avoid the discussion for the most part because there has nobody's all good and nobody's all bad, right? And it's, it's somewhere in between is where you find most people. And if you can't be open-minded enough to get there, then you, you're allowing your biases, the, the, your need to fuel that thing you hold dear to drive you. All right, so uh, we're gonna practice this right now. All right, so what is, we're gonna wrap up here, but what is maybe a, a potential blind spot that you have? What might be a bias that you hold that is easily fueled I ain't going first. I tell you ah, that. Ah, it's hard, isn't it? I'm quiet. It's hard. I'll go first. Okay, go ahead, Chris. My 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 most destructive bias is the fact that I think I'm smarter than most people. Mm. I I approach situations, um, and and I have and I analyze this frequently. But I know I know I'm smart in general. I know I'm intelligent. I can figure things out. And I was blessed with a a father that was a mechanic. And so I know how to fix things and, you know, troubleshoot things, uh, things like that. But I tend to cut other people off, assuming that I already have the answer that my, I've already thought it through. I've done, I'm more analytical than the average person. I'm more systematic. I'm more thorough. I'm more blah, 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 blah. And I could just, you know, I just build up a self image that I, I tend to think that I'm right. And, and in most cases, I, I may end up being right, but, but all that does is when I am right, it just fuels that to, to make me believe that I am even when I'm not. So, you know, I, I think of what Socrates said. He said, I know one thing that I know nothing. Mm. And, and so I, I try to remind myself that because I think that's one of my biggest, my biggest weaknesses or holes right there. It's the fact that I tend to approach situations thinking I'm the smartest guy in the room and many, most times I'm not. All right. Wow. Hey, that's good, Chris. All right, who's oh, next? Way to pull your shirt. All right, I'll go next. Um, so my biggest bias is thinking that most people are self-serving, right? Like, I, I, how is that hurtful and harmful? Well, it leads me to like distance myself, not maybe reach out and establish new relationships. At times, it can cause me to like um, avoid supporting or helping somebody because I think ultimately they're just going to betray me or whoever steps in their way. And so I, I genuinely have challenged that belief as often as I can, but it's hard that people are self-serving, that naturally, and it's a bias because it conflicts with my beliefs of first be of service, right? It creates a problem for me when I see that. And so I try to avoid any kind of interactions outside the house, house because I believe that anytime I have that interaction, it's just gonna confirm that people are self-serving, that people are always gonna look out for themselves rather than looking out for the people around them, right? And my mom raised me, be kind to everybody because you never know who you might need in this world. So you see how that could create a value for me, right? Well, 
when somebody's the opposite of that, I, I, I have some emotional responses to that. Like I, I get in my feelings about it sometimes. And sometimes I feel the need to correct them. When I was younger, it used to be I used to correct them physically. <laughs> you know what I mean? I get in people, ch- I it ended up getting me in fights with people. And as I've gotten older, I've just become this grumpy old man who just decided I'm better than the rest of you. Because I am noble and I care for everyone around me and I'll do for everyone. Yet I won't go around them. <laughs> <laughs> Rebecca, what bias do you have? Oh, this one's tough. Um, this is a topic for a whole nother uh, podcast, but I think um, I think I go into relationship with other females automatically on guard because, um, and probably rightly so from past experiences, which has caused some preconceived ideas, but um, just that sometimes women are quicker to eat them, they're, you know, each other, you know, put each other down or constantly um, judge and all of those other things. Now, I need to preface that with I've got some amazing female friends. Um, and without that, those female friends community, like, you know, those, those are my girls. So, um, but I think I do whenever I meet a new woman, I'm, I'm immediately like kind of shut down. And it takes me a little bit before I can kind of open up and have a relationship just because I'm wondering like, is she judging me? Is she gonna, you know, is she gonna critique my parenting? Is she gonna critique how I look? Is she gonna, you know, how is she gonna look at me? Um, so I guess that is some of my confirmation bias just in in relationship with other females. We heard that come out uh, last week when you mm-hmm. were on the podcast and you said, all right, I'm probably going to get myself in trouble yeah. for saying this. Well, and Teresa and I could have a conversation about that for an hour. I, easily, I guarantee it. Um, you know, I just think that, that that's a good topic at some point, but um, I don't think I'm the only woman that feels that way. No, obviously you're not, because there's somebody who commented. There's snippy and gossip. Thank you, Tom. Right out there, right out. Yeah, be careful here on Small Talk. You make a comment, it might end up on the screen. <laughs> so uh, I, I was just sitting around with a friend last week, uh, right here at the house, and he is like a foreman for a roofing company, and he just starts telling me about how. His um, his crew of Mexican roofers are the best, and they those guys just man they work hard and it it just is confirming what is I think a good bias that that I have about those guys that they are not missing work that they work hard. Um, so I think there's an example of a of a good one. Um, and I think the other thing I was thinking while you guys were talking, Reggie, you said that you sort of assume people are self-serving and, uh, I don't know, I, I guess in my relationship with other people, I assume, how do I say this? Um, I assume sometimes that I'm not going to be taken seriously or I'm, I assume that. Uh, the things that I try to do, maybe like a podcast or whatnot, I try to assume, or I assume that people are just not going to accept that and going to think that it's foolish and that sort of thing. I, so here's a way to articulate this, I guess. I 
assume people are just going to be naturally critical of, of the things that I do. So even if someone then makes maybe even a joke, because I joke with people constantly and people want to return the favor, even if they sort of joke around with me sometimes, I might have a tendency to read too much into what they're saying and uh, become offended or really question myself and what am I doing? Should I be doing this with my life? That sort of thing. It's very, very easy for me to do that. So maybe there's medication to help me with that. I don't know. So uh, if you were some, what was that, Reggie? I said it's in a bottle. Yeah, yeah. Maybe it's called hydroxychloroquine. Uh, apparently, I hear, I hear that if I if I buy a bunch of that, Trump's ninety dollar investment is going to go through the roof. Don't, don't go there, please. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, so um, if you're someone who your opinion is that uh, this small talk thing is uh, ridiculous. Uh, why are you listening? Uh, so apparently you don't think it's too ridiculous. So I appreciate you listening. And I appreciate the good feedback that I've been getting from people. I try not to even bring it up. Like I don't want to be the guy that you see me down at the Inverness wall, uh, Walmart, uh, AKA the Inverness mall. And I haven't seen you yet. And so you recognize I haven't seen you. So you duck down an aisle uh, you know, to avoid me. So you don't have to talk about this whole thing. Uh, I haven't even been bringing it up with people and I just keep interacting with folks in the community. They have great things to say, uh, particularly uh, about Reggie and my guests. Uh, but I'll still, I'll still take that. That's they might be idea. listening to, to confirm some bias they have, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Hey, um, and uh, and Tanya, don't don't worry about uh, deleting your comments. You're 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 totally good. You're, you'll find more agreement with what you said than than not. So uh, at any rate, I appreciate everyone listening. Um, you can go to uh, smalltalk.tv. That's the website. You can go there and find out more information about the show. I would really love it if you would go to Apple Podcasts. Uh, currently, eighty six percent. Other people listening to the podcast are doing it on Apple Podcasts. So there's a lot of uh, iPhone users out there. If you are one of those, pull up your podcast app and search Small Talk and then subscribe. And uh, I'd even love it if you would give us a favorable rating. Uh, that would be really, really helpful. Uh, this is just not something that, that people do. People don't just sit around and start a podcast and put their thoughts out there uh, to the world. It's not an easy thing for even the guests and myself to come on here and do this, but really do enjoy it. And so uh, you could uh, show us your gratitude by going on there and subscribing to the podcast. Give us a favorable rating also on Spotify and Google play. Uh, and again, smalltalk.tv. You can go there and uh, find out more information. I'm also going to upload this as I do every week to my YouTube channel. Uh, maybe the best way to find that would be, again, to go to my website, smalltalk.tv. So I uh, appreciate uh, everyone listening, and uh, we'll be right back at it next Tuesday live on Facebook at 8 p.m. So until then, have a, a great weekend. Stay safe, and let's get the economy opened up. For God's sakes, man, open up, Trump, if you're listening. I'll say something nice about you. You're the greatest president that's ever lived. I have a bobblehead of you up here. Now that we're friends and I've affirmed you, that's what you do. You listen to people who affirm you. Open up, please. All right. Enough said. All right. Until next time. <laughs>